Our gracious God, as we do look now at your word, we pray that you will give us humble hearts. Help us to understand what your word says and help us then to be humble enough to think hard about what it means for our lives and how we should put it into practice. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this last part of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it finishes off a section in 1 Corinthians about what should happen in church, what you should do in church. Uh, We started back in chapter 12. Uh, We started this section back in chapter 12. The issue at Corinth, it related to a spiritual gift some people had called tongues. Uh, They wanted to be able to speak in tongues in church, but other people couldn't understand them. And so other people wanted to ban the speaking of tongues in church. That was the issue, but Paul sees this debate as a symptom of a deeper issue. And so in chapters 12 to 13, he set up four foundations. And uh, Marty, with all his technological expertise and creativity, has given them to you in pictures. Uh, So there are some pictures that he's graciously lent to me. Uh, Paul talks about what true spirituality is as the first foundation. He says true spirituality is not about ecstatic experiences, it's not about anything like that. True spirituality is to trust and obey Jesus as your king. So the picture is a crown. Second foundation. The purpose of why we should serve, why we should work, why we should use our spiritual gifts in church. The purpose? To serve the common good. So the picture's a thumbs up for the common good. Third foundation. The nature of the church. The picture is a body. Because church is the body of Christ. We're all different, like different parts of a body, but like a body, we are united together. Everyone is needed to help the body function. And then the fourth and final foundation, the best way to live, the way of love. And so there's the picture of the heart. Paul puts all these foundations together and addressing the issue of what should happen in church, he comes up with a test. A test for what you should do in church. When you're thinking about what should happen in church, the question you should ask is very, very simple. Does it edify? Is it edifying? Does it strengthen the church in Christ? Does it lovingly build people up to trust Jesus more, to obey Jesus as their king? That's the test. Edification. Thanks, Kelvin. And so in chapter 14, Paul comes to the issue of tongues and how they should be used in church. And he says, they're no use in church. Tongues are of zero zero value in church unless they are translated. Because if people can't understand you, you can't edify them. If you're not intelligible, you can't help people trust and obey Jesus. Edification requires intelligibility. That was the point last week. But there's one other thing. That's also required. One other thing you need if you're going to edify people, if you're going to help them trust Jesus, and that's what Paul talks about in this last part of chapter 14. Paul starts off by describing what was happening in an ordinary Corinthian church service. People would come to church um, with things that they wanted to contribute to the service. So maybe they wanted to sing a certain song, so they'd come ready to sing. Thanks, brother, I can come down. Um, or maybe they'd come prepared to teach something to everybody or speak God's word or maybe they wanted to, uh, to speak in tongues or to interpret. Lots of people wanted to contribute and that was fine. But Paul goes back to his big idea. Whatever they do, it needs to be with a view to edification, to strengthening the church in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26. 
Have a look with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26. What should we say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening, the edification, same word, of the church. Now, as you can see, uh, the Corinthian church services were a little bit different to ours. They were much less uh, structured, much less organised, not planned so much in advance. People would just show up with something that they wanted to sing or say or pray or something like that. I've actually been to services like this. The very first service I ever went to was a service like this, a Brethren Church in West Pennant Hills. Um, but in 2012, when we were in Florence for, for three months, we went to a Brethren Church there as well, and they followed this pattern. There was no prepared order of service. They would all just sit there and wait for the Holy Spirit to move someone. Uh, and then suddenly someone would stand up and they would say, I think we should sing hymn 226. And the musicians would suddenly turn to 226 and start playing. Fabulous musicians, no rehearsals or anything like that. Um, and they would sing uh, hymn 226. And then someone would stand up and spontaneously pray. Or perhaps pray something that they prepared at home. Uh, someone else would stand up and read from the Bible. Oh, I feel we should read from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, or something, and they'd read it. Or someone would stand up and talk about something that God had done in their life that week. Uh, that, that's much more like the, what the Corinthians were doing. It was very kind of spontaneous, and there's, there's no problem with it. But the thing is this. This is what Paul goes on to say. If it's done in a disorderly way, it won't be edifying. Edification doesn't just require intelligibility. You don't just have to understand what they're saying. It also requires order. As you know, I have four children, which means there are usually six people at our dinner table. Five of those people often want to talk to me and ask me a question, <laughs> often all at the same time. Now, I'm not complaining about this. I love that my wife and my children want to talk to me. I hope they never stop talking to me. I praise God that my two teenagers still want to talk to me. But the fact is, I can only listen to one person at a time. If I have four children all talking to me at the same time, I can't hear any of them. And the thing is this. It's not an enjoyable experience for them either. This kind of competition to be heard by dad, they don't like it. They get annoyed with each other. I'm talking, they'll say. Stop, stop interrupting me. It's my turn. They'll argue about it. They'll fight about it. From what Paul goes on to say, it sounds like the Corinthian church services were being run a bit like that. Everyone wanted to have their say. Everyone wanted to use their gifts. They were talking over the top of each other. No one really listening. It was just this kind of competition. Maybe you've been in a Bible study like that. One or two people dominating the conversation, talking over the top of each other, interrupting each other. You can't get a word in edgewise. How do you feel in a Bible study like that? Or maybe you've been to a prayer meeting like that. It feels like some kind of a competition where everyone's competing to pray, to pray the, the longest, most eloquent, most theologically accurate prayer or something like that. You ever been in a situation like that? Even in a conversation like that? It's, it's not edifying, is it? You feel like... 
cringing at the way people talk over the top of each other, like it's a competition. You, you don't come away feeling built up in Christ. You come away embarrassed or you come away annoyed that you didn't get to have your say. You got talked over. If the Corinthians are going to compete for attention, if they're all going to speak over the top of each other, if they're going to be disorderly in that sense, it's not going to edify anyone. And so Paul addresses three groups of people in the church. And he tells them how to be orderly so that their time together will be edifying. How to be orderly so that their time together will be edifying. First group. First group Paul addresses is the people who want to speak in tongues. He says, if anyone is going to speak in a tongue, then no more than a couple of people should speak and they have to take it in turns, one at a time, and it must be interpreted. It has to be made understandable to the congregation. It needs to be done in an orderly way. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. Paul says, if there's no one around who can make the tongues understandable to the congregation, then the people who want to speak in tongues should be silent. They need to shush. Verse 28. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet, shush, in the church and speak to himself and God. Paul turns next to the people who want to prophesy in the churches. And he makes similar provisions. No more than a couple of people should speak. Everyone is to check carefully that what that person is saying really is God's message, really is God's word. They need to keep their Bibles open and, and weigh up what's being said. Verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Just a couple of prophets should speak, and they need to take it in turns. Again, if everyone is speaking over the top of each other, if it's disorderly in that sense, then no one's going to be edified. It's just going to be an embarrassing mess. And so Paul says, if you're prophesying and someone else wants to have a turn, sit down and stop. Stop talking. He uses exactly the same word as he used for the tongues speakers. He says you need to shush. Verse 30. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Same word. Shush. Prophets should take it in turns. That way people can learn and be edified. And Paul doesn't want to hear some nonsense from a so-called prophet. Well, God is speaking through me. I cannot be silent. I have to have my say right now. Rubbish, he says. Rubbish. God's not on about people talking over the top of each other. God's not on about having a competition, a prophecy competition. It's not going to edify anyone. There needs to be order. There needs to be peace. Keep it under control. Verse 31. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder but of peace. Tongue speakers, if anyone's going to speak, just one or two. Take it in turns. If the congregation can't understand, shush. Prophets, two or three at the most. Everyone weighing carefully what is said. Someone else wants a turn, shush. Third group Paul addresses. Third group Paul addresses is the women in the church. Now back in chapter 11, you remember that Paul gave a general principle about what should happen whenever women pray or prophesy. He went back to God's law in the Old Testament, to the story of Adam and Eve. He showed that there's a relational order 
He also went back to the Trinity. He says, just as the father is head of the son, so man is the head of the woman. A husband or father is the head. He showed that there's a relational order, and he said that whenever ladies pray or prophesy with anyone, in any context, they need to make sure that they honour their head. They need to do it in a way that is respectful, that does not undermine the authority of their husband or father. In that culture, in chapter 11, in chapter 11 he said it, needs, it means you need to wear a head covering, a veil. But now in the context of the Corinthian church meetings, Paul says it just can't work. Uh, ladies shouldn't be in there, in the melee, in the competition to have their say. There's way too much scope for disorder, way too much scope for dishonour, way too much scope for um, just being embarrassing. I mean, you can imagine the situation. Husband and wife are there in church. The husband stands up to speak. The Lord says that we should do such and such. But then his wife speaks over the top of him. No, he doesn't. Sit down. He says we should do so and so. They have a domestic about it. It's uncomfortable, uh, disgraceful or shameful is the word that Paul uses. No one knows where to look. I mean, it's bad enough that all the blokes are speaking over the top of each other. It's even worse when the ladies join in. It is bound to undermine male leadership in family and church. It is bound to be unsubmissive to the created order. It is disorderly in that sense. People will not be edified by what is happening. And so, in the context of their church services, Paul says the ladies, the ladies should not participate. They mustn't bring their hymn or word of instruction or revelation or tongue or interpretation to church. Uh, Paul uses the same word that he used for the tongue speakers, the same word that he used for the prophets. He says the ladies need to shush. Now, Paul says that the Corinthians should take a lesson from the congregations of the saints. Uh, in context here, Paul is referring to the Jewish Christian churches in Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to confirm that in chapter 16, where Paul's going to talk about the collection for the saints. It's a collection for the Jewish churches in Jerusalem. Uh, in the congregations of the saints, in the Jewish churches in Jerusalem, the ladies did not speak. And Paul says to the Corinthians, I want you to follow their example. Paul says, even if they have questions, the women should ask in private. In church, they need to shush. Halfway through verse 33. As in all the congregations of the saints, the Jewish Christian churches, women should remain silent, same word, shush, in the churches, the Corinthian churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says, as he's already explained in, Genesis, in chapter 11 about Genesis. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Edification requires orderliness. And uh, in the next bit, Paul addresses any Corinthians who might disagree with him on these matters. He says the fact is that what he is saying is not something he's made up, it is something that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. God's word originated with Jesus and with the apostles and in the Jewish Christian churches, it didn't originate with the Corinthians. They're not in a position to just make it up the way they want to do things, to innovate on this. If they ignore what Paul is saying, they risk being ignored by God. Verse 36. Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people that has reached? If anybody thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am saying, what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Paul finishes the section with a quick summary. He says it's fine to prophesy. Tongues are okay in appropriate contexts. But if you're going to be edifying... You need to be orderly. Verse 39. 
Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Okay, told you it was countercultural, but can you see what's here in this passage? Paul's telling the Corinthians what to do in church. The test for what should happen, edification. Does it strengthen the church? Does it help people trust and obey Jesus? That requires that things be done in a fitting and orderly way. And so Paul speaks to three groups. Tongue speakers. Maximum of a couple of people should speak, one at a time. There must be interpretation, otherwise, shush. Prophets. One or two speakers at the most, one at a time. Someone else wants a turn, shush. Ladies. Don't join in the melee at all. In the churches in Corinth, they needed to shush. Okay, that's what it says. Let's think about what it means for us. Let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. Now, there are people who argue that we should do church in exactly the same way that the Corinthians did it. When we come together, they say, everyone should be able to have their say. We shouldn't plan, we shouldn't set an order of service, we should be spontaneous, let people do what they want. Uh, I remember one time a man visited our church, at the end of the service he came and he shook my hand at the door and he said, the way you're running your church service, you are quenching the Holy Spirit. He said, the mark of of the work of the Spirit in church is that it's spontaneous, it's unpredictable what will happen. The Bible says, the Spirit moves where he wills, the wind blows where it wishes. He cannot be controlled by humans, not by you, not by anybody else, by having a set order of service, you are trying to control the Holy Spirit. But notice what Paul says here. doesn't say that people should follow the example of the way the Corinthians did their services. He says the way that they did it. He doesn't say you should follow it, though. What he does say is this. Whatever you do, however you do it, it needs to be with the goal of strengthening the church. Now, the Corinthians, they had lots of opportunities for people to have a say in their services. That's fine. Good. That's not the way we do it in our Sunday meetings. I mean, they meet in smaller groups, in homes. We meet in a big group. Uh, We do give some people some opportunity to participate, But basically, in our church, people's opportunity to talk, uh, basically in our church, people's opportunity to talk and to contribute their ideas, it happens more in Bible studies. Here it's mainly me rabbiting and you shushing. But but in Bible study, you get an opportunity to have a a say. It's part of why it's very important to be involved in a Bible study in our church context. That's where you get your opportunity to share your views, to ask lots of questions, to discuss things more. Now, of course, the fact that that our Bible studies are more like Corinthian services. They're not the same. They're in people's homes in a different way. But the fact that they're more like Corinthian services means we do need to be very careful about how we participate. It can get very disorderly in a Bible study and we need to aim to be edifying in what we say. Bible study is not your chance to impress people with what a great theologian you are. Bible study is not your kind of pulpit where everybody has to listen to you. Uh, Bible study is not the opportunity for you to play the joker or or the devil's advocate. We need to participate helpfully, thinking about how does my contribution help other people grow in Christ. If we're quiet people, we should step up and speak, encourage other people. If we're talkers, we need to learn when to shush and to listen. Now, we don't have to copy the, the Corinthian church services But what Paul says to the Corinthians is still very relevant to our Sunday services because 
because the goal is the same. Whatever we do in church, it needs to be with a view to building people up in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means we need to be fitting and we need to be orderly. Now, in our Sunday services, we follow a classic reformed order of service. It's based on the Book of Common Order uh, from Scotland, which goes back to the Book of Common Prayer from the 1500s in England, which goes back to the work of medieval scholars through to Martin Bucer and other people in Europe. And it is extremely orderly, isn't it? Uh, the order of service is written out for you in advance, week by week, and it's pretty much the same every single week. You probably don't even need it written out. You know exactly what's going to happen before it happens. Uh, we, we sing, we pray, we read, two prayers, two readings. We hear teaching for our children and for ourselves. Only one person's allowed to speak at a time based on a roster that's prepared months in advance. Um, Hopefully in our services everybody has their Bibles out during the readings and the sermon. You're checking carefully that what's said matches up with what God says in his word. You're weighing it up. There's nothing, well there's very little here, like the mess of the Corinthian services. That There's no competition of people trying to be heard over the top of each other. It's a balanced service. It's an orderly service. It stood the test of time for over 500 years. I can't think of a better way to do it. That's why we still do it. But still here at Chatswood we do need to be careful. We need to be careful that we are being orderly. Without wishing to be too offensive, let me give you a few examples. If you are the service leader, or if you're leading singing, you need to be very careful in what you say. It's fine to make a joke in your introduction, but you've got to keep the goal in mind. You're not aiming to get a laugh. You're not aiming to impress people. You're aiming to be edifying. And so it is right to be sober and serious and to keep the cringe factor low. Do you know what I mean? It's not the time to tease anyone. I was at another church on my recent holiday and the leader, he kept on teasing a couple of Queenslanders who were sitting in the front in the church. He seemed to think it was hilarious. Oh, very Aussie, you know, knock-knock people, etc., etc., as a visitor, I just found it embarrassing. I'm not even a Queenslander, I found it embarrassing. If you're leading the service or you're leading singing or you're up the front and you're worried about saying something, my advice is don't say it. Just, just shush. Our children's talks. Our children's talks are a highlight of our service, in my judgement. I think probably many people get more out of the children's talks than out of my talk. And, and we, have, we have lots of fun... But we need to keep the goal in mind. It's got to be edifying. What's said must be appropriate. We don't want to be over the top with, with chaos or anything that's embarrassing to anyone. Just need to keep a lid on it. Remember the goal. It's the same with everything else we do. Our prayers. When you pray in church, keep the goal in mind. When you read from the scriptures, keep the goal in mind. If you preach, oh, if you do the announcements... When you sing, keep the goal in mind. It's not the time to show off what a lovely singer you are, what an excellent prayer you are. It's not the time to impress people. The goal is to strengthen the church, to help the people grow in their trust and obedience to Jesus. Now, at the risk of being highly politically incorrect, we do also need to keep the issue of gender in mind. We need to be, in the way we do our services, encouraging the leadership of men in church and family. We need to call on men to step up 
and fulfill their God-given responsibility to be servant leaders of their church and family. And we need to discourage anything that causes ladies to dishonour their head, to be in any way disrespectful to their husbands or fathers. Now, because of the way we do our services, because our church services are so orderly, my judgment is there is room for ladies to participate. Uh, If we did things the same way the Corinthians did them, if it was everybody stepping up and going over the top of each other, I think women should not be able to participate. And they did in Florence, I think they shouldn't. But I think that the way we do services, ladies can do things in a way that is not dishonouring or shameful to the men. I think it's quite possible to participate in a way that's not disorderly or unedifying. And so we do have women giving the kids talk, praying, reading the Bible, being interviewed. And of course, there's never any debate about this, but women can and should sing in church. Now, I should say not everyone agrees with me. Uh, In my time here at church, there are two families who have left the church in disgust that I allow women to participate in the service. That's their call. And and I should say, if that's your call, if you have any issue of conscience as a lady for speaking in church and I roster you down to do something, shoot me an email straight back and say, no, I don't want to. I don't think it's appropriate for me to do that. Don't go against your conscience on this. Um, But my judgment is that I think there is room for ladies to participate. That's my call. And I guess I will have to give account to God for it. But we do need to be careful. We don't want to undermine the responsibility of men to be leaders in church and family. We don't want church to be a situation where ladies are put in a position of being unsubmissive to husbands or fathers. We don't want to be disorderly in terms of God's created order of leadership. So how do we try to show that in our church? Well, only men lead the service, to give that kind of sense of who's looking after us. Only men preach. And usually you will find on the roster, almost always you will find that there are more men than women involved in doing things up front. It's just a way of trying to honour this created order, trying to make us think about the issue of gender, trying to encourage the men to step up and fulfil their responsibility. Uh, My judgement is that we're okay on this, although I have to say there's one place where I think we sometimes get it wrong, uh, one place where we sometimes push the boundaries here, and that is in our question times. Now, I'm happy for both men and women to ask questions. My experience is that the questions I get are almost always respectful and appropriate, But there are a couple of occasions I can remember. I can remember ladies getting stuck into a student preacher. It was embarrassing. I remember another time where uh, a wife talked over the top of her husband in question time and contradicted him. Cringe factor was pretty high. Would have been better off kept behind closed doors. Didn't edify us. Question time has the potential to be disorderly. So we need to be very, very careful. Very careful what we say, how we say it. What is our goal? It's still the time to be thinking, not just about now I can have my question or now I can get my view across, but how can I edify the congregation? Yeah? Okay, friends, well, that brings us to the end of this section of 1 Corinthians. What should we do in church? The point, I hope, is clear. Given the nature of spirituality, the nature of spiritual gifts, the nature of the church, the way of love, we need to do things in church that edify that build people up in their love and obedience to Jesus. And so we need to be intelligible and we need to be fitting and orderly. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your mercy and kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you uh, for showing us the way. We pray that we will be people who love each other and want to edify each other. Uh, Sorry if we get things wrong on this. Please do forgive us through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Uh, we pray that what we do together will be edifying, that we will help each other on the way to trust Jesus and live for him. Uh, and Father, we pray that you give us strength and wisdom in this, in Jesus' name.